0: You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 105, What You Need to Know About Statistics. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking and statistics. At least Mm -hmm. that's our topic for today. Sandy, I was mentioning to you before we started recording that I was adding up. I actually think I've added up a fifth one. I think I've taken five statistics classes in my life through the different academic programs I've been involved with. And I'm a little embarrassed that after five statistics classes, I would not consider myself um, much more knowledgeable than the average person when it comes to statistics. Uh, But I do know a little bit, and I certainly know some of the downfalls of statistics, and that's actually what we're going to tap into today. So before you uh, are worried that we're going to have you doing medians and modes and T tests <laughs> and all that, uh, that's not really what the show's about. Uh, you'll, you'll have to find a statistics professor for that. Um, but we are going to really look at what kinds of ways should we be thinking about statistics, how we use statistics when we're thinking about ending human trafficking. And there actually is a lot to say about that, Sandy, just from, a, uh, just from the 30,000 foot view.
1: Well, and in the world of combating human trafficking, there is a real push for data-driven decision-making. And so what became um, apparent this week in the Washington Post was that we are not the only ones concerned about how data-driven decision-making is impacted and how it is arrived at, what data are we using Um, because Glenn Kessler, the fact checker with Washington Post, raised this question specifically in relationship to our agendas to fight human trafficking.
0: And I've got the article on my screen, Sandy, and the headline is, The False Claim That Human Trafficking Is a $9.5 Billion Dollar Business in the United States. So... uh you've really looked at this article in a lot more detail than I have. What's the bottom line that Kessler is calling attention to? Is it the way that numbers arrived at, or is it that the numbers weigh off and there's other data that shows otherwise?
1: Well, I think he really wants us to question how it was arrived at and it, and how it made its way to the, um, legislative floor in Washington, DC. And so, um, many times. And, and of course I'm dealing with this all the time with my students who present statistics and I'm using air quotes for my listeners, um, that they, uh, picked up from uh, a TV show, from a, from a a movie, from a news report. And I want to know how did that report generate those numbers and, the, that's exactly what this guy wants to know. He wants to know, where did this come from? So the particular legislator um, directed him back to the source, which was a Shared Hope um, uh, infographic, and then they went to Shared Hope and asked, where did that come from? And they cited a 2005 International Labor Organization um, statistic. And so, you know, we keep going back, 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 but the people... Um, really didn't understand how that was generated. And for many of us, we have heard numbers, and you've heard me say this before, when someone said 27 million slaves, there's nobody going around saying, okay, I see uh, there's seven here, we're counting them, we're counting these people. So how do we actually come up with numbers of how many slaves are there and how much is that business, because we do know that modern day slavery is for profit. It is either for a commercial sex act, someone's going to make profit off of selling someone else, or for slave labor, which then means that the profit is made by not paying someone a fair wage. So how do we evaluate the value of that business?
0: And Sandy, one thing I'm wondering about as we get into this this conversation is what unique challenges there are in this field, because um, this example you mentioned, both of us have taught courses in different disciplines of students, you know, maybe not doing their due diligence or even in worst case, making numbers up. That's nothing new. That's been a part of every field since the dawn of human interest in doing research, as far as really being careful with numbers and making sure that you are actually using numbers that are meaningful is there a is there an additional complication with the the human trafficking work that makes the numbers even more complex than it does in some other fields, or is this just kind of the same thing?
1: Well, I, th- I think it is complicated. In a two thousand eight um, very scholarly report from the Crimes Against Children Research Center, they produced a report called "How Many Juveniles Are Involved in Prostitution in the U.S." This report is required reading every semester in my human trafficking classes and in my commercial sexual exploitation classes. A, it begins with a quote from that you can find if you Google it on many different websites because many times the person putting together their organization's website is just kind of grabbing um, literally almost out of thin air out there on the internet, any, any statistics they can mm-hmm. to create weight. And there's a, a high risk in using statistics that you have not been able to validate. So this particular report states, and I quote, these estimates range from 1,400 to 2.4 million, and he's uh, the report is referring to how many juvenile prostitutes within the United States. And even though most estimates fall between three and 600,000, um, it says in all quotes, do not cite these numbers. All, all caps. All caps. Yeah, yeah thank you. All caps.
0: It's pretty striking when you read the article too. Like it's got all these numbers, and then it says, "Do not cite this," (laughs) which you never see in an academic paper,
1: right? And and it says these are not based on strong scientific uh, foundation, and they're mostly educated guesses or extrapolations. Mm. So, for instance, um, one of the things I'm really dedicated to doing is using statistics that I trust. I'm a member of the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force. I use the Orange County statistics because I know that when it says in 2014 there are 226 victims of human trafficking then I know that my um my colleagues would be able to tell me exactly if I had access and and the uh, um, authorization the names of every single one of those 226 victims.
0: We know that those are real numbers here in Orange County. They're not just um, estimates or extrapolations. those, they, are, real those are real people. those are
1: real yeah. people so and for so for example, if I wanted to extrapolate from that number, um, I would do the math for California and multiply times 40 because there are 40 counties. And I'm not good at math, but um, I'm thinking that's going to be somewhere over 8,000 right. um, human trafficking victims.
0: Yeah, and, and even that isn't the best estimate because you got to adjust for population, and one thing, something that's true in one county in one particular geography, and may not necessarily be true for another county. But you could you could go through the process of of making a rough estimate, right? And
1: yeah, and that those kinds of extrapolations are. Uh, rampant in the reporting world of anti-human trafficking advocates who are looking for something to build an argument on.
0: And so is part of the challenge here just because of the nature of the crime and the sensitivity that goes around this issue that we just don't have the visibility of either names or information that we might for other types of research that people would do Sandy or or, or is it just Or is there some other factor at play here too?
1: Well, well, I think part of it is there is going to be, um, especially when we're talking about numbers of children that are involved, there's a much higher emotional empathy quotient, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so when we, when we use numbers that are related to children, um, it just puts us in a totally different ballpark and people's heartstrings are pulled And while we accomplish something that seems really good, uh, what this columnist brings to mind is that we may end up actually damaging our argument because the premise for asking for what we're we're doing is is proven inaccurate.
0: So if I'm reading between the lines of what you said there um, just a minute ago, it, would it be accurate to say that m- perhaps if not intentionally that there's a, a maybe even a subconscious um, tendency for some people who are doing advocacy work to highlight some of the the numbers or the the ages of the younger children because that really does give more attention to the issue than it would if, you know, for example, the, the numbers or the ages weren't as much of a factor. Is that, is that I accurate? I think that's
1: true. Um, it's interesting because in, um, in the Covenant House report, New York City report that they did on commercial sexual exploitation, um, they actually interviewed 174 youth. And in that, they were able to do a very well-researched um, design met their methodology is all in the report. We'll put a link to it on on the show notes. But ultimately, when they get to an off quoted statement about the average age of entry into commercial sexual exploitation, um, they cite a 2010 report that was um, produced by ECpat and quotes it. And ECpat did. Um, underlined that this was anecdotal evidence and experience, but then went on to states it suggests 13 or 14 as the typical age of entering the life. But the Covenant House report shows a much older population and their, their breakdown of the Youth who were sampled and had experienced commercial sexual activity, where they traded sex for something of value for the first time, they were 18 or older, 44 percent. And then, even when you look at their their infographic about average age of of um, first exploitation, it still is. Um, mostly at 18, and the earlier examples below 14 are just minimal, very, Mm. very minimal. So then you have to start asking yourself um, some more questions about how we are doing this research and why we continue, because see, once someone, once my student took a report off of the ECPAT Um, report, they didn't include in their report the disclaimer that this is based on anecdotal evidence.
0: It's interesting um, that, uh, and I think you were telling me one of the, there's also maybe even an explanation for why the the older population in that particular example is they may be more likely to be seeking housing than would be, kids that were in the foster system at younger ages too. So there's all these variables, and that's the complicated thing about doing research, especially when people are involved, is there's all these different variables, and it just really speaks to the importance of, A, more research, Sandy, but people mm. who also are being really responsible with the research of clearly identifying what are the limitations. I mean, any any decent academic researcher worth their salt is going to spend a lot of time thinking through what are the limitations of the study? What are the things they can't control for? And the things they can control for of really being intentional about that and um, and highlighting that within their study so that hopefully we can use that as as a, as a data point to make the picture a little bit clearer. But the picture is pretty fuzzy right now as far as what the numbers are. We know there's a problem. We know there's peop- a lot of people mm-hmm. involved with it. But the actual numbers are, are a lot different depending on which study you look at and whose paper and what findings and what agencies reporting it.
1: And and when I go back to this 2008 Crimes Against Children Research Center report, um, some of you may have, have um, had like the fingernail on a chalkboard experience as I read juvenile prostitutes from that report. But back in 2008, that's what we, that's the term we used. And now we use the term commercial sexual exploitation of children, and we don't blame the victim. And so we're not getting numbers of youth that are arrested for juvenile prostitution. And in fact, um, we don't have those statistics in many counties because we are using a victim centered approach and we're taking those children and taking them to a group home, um, to placing them in a foster situation situation but we aren't incarcerating them. And so now then, how are we tracking and how are we developing? Those are questions we have to ask because now we have, we're trying to compare apples and oranges from 2008 to 2015, and the whole process is different.
0: Well, I think this raises a question for me, Sandy, of, of looking through this and reading this article is, I think there's the tendency for a lot of us who um maybe no more than the average person about human trafficking but are not as 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 deep into the numbers and a lot of the research as you are Sandy to kind of like throw up our hands and be like well you know what why bother like if all of these studies are just estimates and there's not real numbers out there why even bother and so i i guess my question to you is why should we care about the numbers in the first place and then assuming there's a good reason to care, what are the numbers we should be looking at? Like, What are the organizations or the places that we should go to to get numbers that you know, may not be perfect, but are, are, are better sourced as far as being able to help us extrapolate a, a, a clearer picture?
1: Well, I think the answer to your first question about why, um, because we will um, allocate resources for something that we can demonstrate in need. Four, and so the fact that um, the fact checker has demonstrated how one statistic that was arrived at by, um, if you want to read the article, by really combining two different reports and extrapolating, um, was then used in state department reports used in uh federal bureau of investigation reports so everyone's looking for numbers because that's what we're supposed to do mm-hmm. and the um the idea that that we have to have a number is is part of of our problem we we want everything to be Able to be budgeted, and this amount will be used for this based on this kind of need. And if there's going to be a hundred thousand victims, then we need to have thirty seven thousand dollars per victim, or whatever. I'm pulling numbers out of the air, just like everybody else, right? Yeah. So, so then I can't even begin to imagine on a national level what the numbers really could look like. But what I don't need to imagine is what the numbers are locally. So that's why I so often go back to the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force numbers. And um, of those 226, 64 were minors. They were under the age of 18. And 63 were girls and one was a boy. So that's right here in my own backyard. But to your next question, um, what, what are... What should you, what numbers should you care about? I think that what we've seen in the crimes against children report, what we've seen in prevention materials, is that there are some solid numbers that will give us um, indicators of where the gravest issues are and how we can address those needs. So some of the reports, because I'm truly committed to being an activist in my own backyard. I don't just want to have a platform where I'm never actually engaged in my own community. So I'm interested in the numbers in Orange County. And these are numbers that you can get for your county, for your state. And the first is your homeless student count. We already know that students who are homeless are at a higher risk of being victimized, either um, by people in their community, or actually being recruited by um, sex traffickers. So we and we've talked about that before. And the McKinley, we have
0: and, and sorry for interrupting, yeah. you, Sandy. Um, I, I just wanted to point out on episode fifteen, homelessness and human trafficking, and episode forty-one, preventing trafficking by preventing homelessness. We've had a lot of conversations and there's a lot of research on the links between those two. And so that's a number that if we know can really help be an indicator then, again, we don't know the perfect numbers, but can really be an indicator for trafficking um, victims.
1: And and when we understand that the risk goes up, then it's a great place to start fighting human trafficking. You aren't going to be interfering with law enforcement who are doing investigations so, and going and being an, a vigilante trying to do your own thing. When you're helping homeless students be successful, you're actually doing something against human trafficking that, again, is very hard to measure. And probably that makes it a little less attractive because how can you say how many students... I saved from uh, commercial sexual exploitation by volunteering at an after school um, homework program. But the idea that I want to remind everybody is that homeless numbers, there are two ways of measuring homelessness. There is the point in time measurement, where somebody goes out on an appointed day in a city and counts how many people are sleeping outside or against a building or under a bridge. And the homeless student number in Orange County is over 30,000, but that's not people sleeping outside. Those are homeless students based on the McKinley-Vento Act that um, reports on children that are not in permanent placement. They don't have permanent housing. That may mean that their family is living in a one-room hotel. Um, It may mean that they're living with another family member, and again, they're renting a bedroom um, from a a friend or someone that they've just found through the newspaper ads. But in any case, those students don't have a permanent place. They don't have um, a bedroom, a desk to do their homework. And so with the McKinley-Vento Act, which is federal, Every school district is required by law to have a homeless student liaison. So a number you should care about, Dave, in Orange County is, what are the number of homeless students? And what can you do to impact those students?
0: Then the old adage, a pound of, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It's, uh, like you said, it's not as apparent. It's not as... Um, it sometimes doesn't feel as flashy as as doing something where uh, a victim is rescued or something like that. Um, but in the long run, we've talked a lot about prevention on the show on how that can really uh, that really can be a huge difference maker for people not ever getting into the situation at all.
1: Exactly. Another number in Orange County that you can look at is the number of reported um, child abuse reports. And in 2014, I looked it up, and this is documented. There is a record for every single one, 14,000 reports of child abuse. Mm. Now, that's important because we already know that children who have already experienced abuse are more often the victims of of exploitation. So when our um, victim services report to us on the... the the precursors to this child being exploited, the numbers that have been already victims of abuse as a child are extremely high. Um, and I'm not using a number right now because I don't have the the statistic in front of me. And it's going to differ from county to county. I know that in a report last year in in Los Angeles, 84% had been victims of some kind of child abuse. So that is an important number that you should care about. And it's a, it's a real number that's right in your own backyard.
0: Mm. Interesting. And I think the it, sometimes it's just so much... It just makes so much more sense, and it's easier to really get to the local level, Sandy. And and we all want to have a sense of the national numbers and the international numbers, but um, we know where those statistics come from in Orange County. Like you said, the documentation is there. And so it it's a much better starting point, at least for us, and and also for everyone else out there who's thinking in their communities. Those are numbers that most uh, most agencies, counties are going to have access to and that there's a pretty good documentation record around.
1: Well, and then there's some other issues that aren't even brought up in this particular report because this report in from the Washington Post uh, was dealing with the US, but you know in my work internationally, I've run into leaders from countries who are very resistant to talking to me because they they feel misquoted, they feel that outsiders come in and and leave and broadcast numbers that can't be supported because we don't always do a good job, we just come up with a guesstimate. And that not only doesn't help us in that country where there may be exceptional experiences of of child sexual exploitation, but trying to create numbers that aren't supported in solid methodology, actually boomerangs. And now we have a a government that's trying to defend itself um, based on the hyperbole that's happening in um, all of the nonprofits that are trying to raise funds to fight human trafficking in those countries. And Mm. so, so we have to be thinking about the ramifications of statistics that may sound um, engaging and, and empathetic with what are the practical realities on the ground? Does it really matter? And I think it does.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I hope that we all come our way from this conversation with an appreciation for the complexity here. And I, I don't think, I think there's probably very few people out there, Sandy, who intentionally are trying to, to mislead people on statistics. Uh, you know, there's always a few that are in that category, but I think more often it's 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 the, the example you post. It's, you know, someone's putting up a website for their organization. They're looking for the statistics to mm-hmm. cite, and they go online and they start looking for the numbers, and they see a whole bunch of numbers that look pretty consistent across a couple of sites, and they, they recite it. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that's... Um, that that number is the best number to use. And so I think that there's a due diligence all of us owe to ourselves and our organizations to really think through where we're getting numbers, if it's not apparent where the numbers are coming from, to ask questions, much like this uh, journalist did in the Washington Post of like, you know, follow the trail and to really look for the peer-reviewed scholarly research articles. And I know that that's something that, um, Sandy, the center is really helpful on for people too. So one of the things I'd certainly... Encourages if that's something that you're trying to figure out how to navigate and looking for advice on that is is that something the center can help yeah, with as far as can people point you reaching out though in
1: the right direction. But what um, is very clear right now is evidence based, um, data driven decision making in this field is um, sadly lacking, and it's an area that the entire uh, movement is working to reconcile.
0: So that's something that we also would really encourage. If you're someone out there who has uh, an expertise in research and statistics, and this is uh, an issue that's close to your heart, boy, do we need more people doing research. And uh, I know one of the things for the conference that, Sandy, you're always interested in is really uh, talking with people and even uh, even engaging people who are doing research in the field. So uh, we would really encourage that and let us know when you're doing research so that we can be... A voice for you and, and and assist in studying the issues so we can all be a voice and make a difference in ending human trafficking.
1: And watch for our call for papers for March 4th and 5th, 2016. Ensure
0: justice. That's right. It's coming up again. So uh, mark those dates on your calendar. And if you would like to reach out to, out to us, we'd love to hear from you. GCWJ at Vanguard.edu is the way to do that. That stands for the Global Center for Women and Justice. Here at Vanguard University, or you can always reach out to us by phone as well. 714-966-6360 is the best way to do that. And uh, while you're online, if you have a moment, one of the things that really helps us to get the message out about uh, this issue and the important conversation we've had today is to rate or review the show on iTunes. If you use iTunes, Uh, take a moment to leave us a rating that'll help more people to find the show. Sandy, thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you again in two weeks. Thanks, Dave. Take care, everyone. Bye.